um, if you have a Bible um, or access to a Bible, um, we're going to head eventually towards this, the verse that was up there on the screen has now been taken off in the middle, Ephesians 2. Can we switch that around? Is that all right? Sorry, I didn't tell them to do that. There you go. Um, for, for, for through him, that's Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. It's going to take us a few minutes to get to that tonight, but we'll get there eventually. So you might want to open your Bible if you, if you have it on that page. So good evening. My name's John, as Susie said, and uh, really excited to be sharing tonight. There's um, an author that I really like reading his books called Malcolm Gladwell. And he's written a few different books, and he tends to write these books that are sort of like a bit of a mixture of psychology and sociology and anthropology, but very much in kind of layman's terms, so really easy to read, and they're really good fun. And um, he wrote a book a few years ago called Outliers. And in that book, he, he, he wrote about a, a, the, this sort of curious story of an American town called Rosetta, um, near Pennsylvania, um, and it's a small town. It was established towards the end of the 19th century by um, Italians who'd moved via New York you know, in search of the American dream. Um, but, but this account um, begins about 60 years after that, in the, in the 1950s or so, when this academic, academic physician who is based at the Oklahoma University called Stuart Wolfe had an intriguing conversation one day with a local GP. Um, and this, this doctor had, had practiced in that area for 17 years, and he's, he'd observed that the town's population seemed to be unusually healthy. Um, they, for example, they had really low instances of, of heart disease. And so um, uh, this doctor, Wolf, his, his curiosity was piqued, and before long he was leading um, a research team in an investigation to try and identify the source of their apparent vitality and longevity, and um, he was astonished to find that this, this GP's reports were true. He, he, they discovered extremely low rates of heart disease and an overall um, death rate that was 30 to 35% lower than what they might have expected. And he recalls in the book, he said, there was no suicide, no alcoholism, no drug addiction, very little crime, they didn't have anyone on welfare. He said, then we looked at peptic ulcers. They didn't have any of those either. These people were dying of old age, that's it. So together, this research team, they, they considered various different factors like diet, genetics, geography, their work, but none of these seemed to explain the trend that they were observing. This study left them asking, what was the source of their health and vitality? And picking up in the book, um, this, is how they, this is how they felt they discovered the answer. It says, Wolf and a co-researcher walked around the town and they figured out why. They looked at how the Rosettans visited one another, stopping to chat in Italian on the street, say, or cooking for one another in their backyards. They learned about the extended family clans that underlay the town's social structure. They saw how many homes had three generations living under one roof and how much respect grandparents commanded. They went to, the, to Mass at Our Lady of Mount Carmel and they saw the unifying and calming effect of the church. They counted 22 separate civic organizations in a town of just under 2,000 people. So these doctors at the time, they were very much immersed in a medical world at the time, believed that health was, was principally driven by, by fact, physical factors like diet and exercise and genes and habits like smoking. 
And yet they became convinced that the, the reason that this village, this town, had such incredible health was because physical health is closely related to relational health. They, they, they felt that they were discovering that, that, that having relationships and community and being known leads to life. And, and conversely, to be isolated is toxic for us. I thought that story was a pretty good advert for community. You know, in terms of this sermon tonight, I could just say, there you go, join a church and avoid peptic ulcers. Great. <laughs> but of course, it's just, you know, that was just one story in one book. And to be totally transparent, um, whilst I love that author, Malcolm Gladwell, um, I'm aware that some sort of people with more expert backgrounds have at, time, at times accused him of, of sort of oversimplifying things. But I would say it's fair to say this, that story, what it does do is illustrate a general principle that's been, that's been robustly proven in the decades since. And that is this idea that, that relational health is good for physical health. It's good for us. The 2018 um, government report entitled A Connected Society, which is all about loneliness and the government's strategy for tackling loneliness, it reports that loneliness is frequently linked to early deaths. Its health impact is thought to be on a par with other public health priorities like obesity or smoking. It presents uh, research demonstrating that loneliness is associated with heart disease, stroke, depression, low self-esteem, um, sleep problems, stress response, cognitive decline and Alzheimer's, and social anxiety. And I was just flicking through this report in the week, and it just goes on and on and on, emphasizing and re-emphasizing this principle that community and relationship leads to health and life. It's good for us. And conversely, isolation is toxic. It's damaging to us. If you missed... Um, the last couple of weeks at church, I'd recommend you catch up, particularly on the vision talk that was a few weeks ago, and John's talk last week, where he explained that as a church, our vision moving into this year um, is going to be really focusing around this phrase, needed and known. We, we, we feel called and we desire to be a church where people can be felt, can, where people can feel needed where they can feel, you know, I've got stuff to, a part to play. I can make a difference. I can get involved. And we also desire and feel called to be a church where people would feel known, a place where, where we could enjoy community and experience relationship, both, both here on a Sunday and, and vitally to be part of a small group in the week. And so last week, John was talking about um, needed, and tonight I'm talking about known. And um, as we introduce this theme, I'd love um, to, to ha for you to hear a little bit from one of our small group leaders who's going to share some of her experience of this. So let's welcome Caroline. Hey, Caroline, you're right. Yes, thanks. Lovely. So you're a small group leader. Yes. Um, so it'd be great just to begin, just to hear a little bit about your group, what it's like, and, and what are some of the sort of experiences and ups and downs that you've shared together? Okay, we're a group of women. It wasn't set out to be like that. It obviously was God's design that we should be a, a women-only group. There are various ages and of different, in different stages of life. What we have in common is that for whatever reason, we are single women within the church family. This could be because of loss of relationships through divorce or death, 
or because our partners aren't Christian or because we're single and are not currently in a relationship. We've been going for about nine years now and have a core of about three or four people who've been with me from the early days. We call each other praying sisters and that's exactly what we mean to each other. Like many groups within the church, we've experienced a number of life's ups and downs. We've walked alongside one member who was going through a very painful and difficult divorce and celebrated when that season concluded and we could see how God had been with her all along that journey. We've celebrated the arrival of grandchildren, the start of new relationships and currently our wedding planning. Mm. And of course, we celebrate ancestor prayers. More recently as a group, we've had a hard season of loss and grief. My sister Sharon, who was a member of the group, was diagnosed with leukemia in December 2016. And within two months, two other um, members of the group also had close family members diagnosed with the same cancer. Sadly, my sister, Pat's brother, and Abby's mother-in-law all lost their fight and died within weeks of each other. Throw into all that, we had a member who had lost her a relative who she was very close to, who lived in Europe, and somebody else who'd been walking through the first year following the death of her husband, another's husband who was struggling with ill health, and somebody who's currently undergoing health challenges. So, yeah, it's been... A challenging well, yeah, yeah, it has. A couple of years, really. And for you, personally, what, it's, what has it been like to, to share your experiences like that with the group? Um, what, what's your experience been like that? The toughest season for me was the time when Sharon was ill and in city hospital for a year prior to her death. We were very close. She was my best friend. So seeing her ill and not getting better was quite hard. I was visiting daily, working full-time for the local authority and being a mom and a grandma and obviously seeing my sister. And there were times when, you know, it would take it out of me. I would see her on a Wednesday before going to small group and there would be times when I just had no energy. So for someone just to make me a drink, give me a hug, they knew what I needed. They didn't have to ask me anything and that need was met. Being in a group where I could be real and voice my fears and anxieties, as well as offload some of my non-gracious opinions regarding some aspects of her care. But always coming back to the fact that God was in control was really helpful. So without my praying sisters, I can reasonably confidently say that I would not have coped during that season and would not have really wanted to keep pushing in with my relationship with God, to, with how I'm doing it now. And that was, how did you... That sort of thing of keep on pushing. I'm aware that as, as a small group leader, um, it, you know, you, you're sort of supposed to be the leader, aren't you? So yeah. how, what was it like to sort of, to make yourself vulnerable or allow yourself to be vulnerable in that way, in that context? I think the key thing there is getting off the pedestal yeah. and realising, yes, you may be the leader, but you, you're not the font of all knowledge. You don't know it all. And sadly, God did not give you full revelation of absolutely everything. Yeah, all right. So... Yeah. <laughs> just in case you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> so to grow in relationship with anyone, there must be trust, accountability, and commitment. I believe that as a group, we have that with each other. It calls for me to be real and to be vulnerable and, and to say it as it is. Yeah. And fortunately for, for me, and I think others would agree, that within this church, we have that modeled by yourself and other church leaders, and John and Debbie in particular. 
it enables us then to create an environment where it's safe to share our stories. So a recent example would be in the summer term, we um, worked through the Emotionally Healthy Woman Study Guide. And within the plan, it called for us to honestly look at some of our belief patterns and behaviours which we held that hindered both our relationship with God and our relationship with others. There were a couple of weeks in particular when holding up that mirror and looking at the content was a bit hard-hitting. By honestly sharing some of my struggles and having a safe and trusting environment, we were able to make the most of the material. So it became more an opportunity for us to be open to change rather than just an intellectual exercise. Yeah, so. brilliant. So it sounds like you're really kind of in each other's lives and there for one another. So mm. for folks to get a, a sort of a picture, what in practice, what practically does it look like? The way that you sort of support one another and all of that through the week, what does it look like? We use tools very similar to what other groups probably would be using. We meet weekly outside of the school holidays. If I'm not there, the group continues to meet because I'm not the be-all and end-all, sadly. Um, <laughs> we do a variety of things like Bible studies, we have socials, we have prayer nights or meditation nights, and we eat, a very yeah. trend thing. Um, like other groups, we have WhatsApp where people can post requests yeah. for prayer, answers to prayer, or just share anything yeah. about their life. And as, as the leader of the group, do you read absolutely everything? Oh, yeah. All the, all the posts on oh, yeah. the WhatsApp group? Yeah. yeah. That's good. You read everything. Yeah, wow. definitely. There's one member of the group. I mean, I do too in groups that I'm in, <laughs> but just check in. Just in case. Yeah. <laughs> we have one member who sends a good morning um, post every morning, and in it is something usually very encouraging. Um, and there's, to be fair, there has been a couple of mornings when she hasn't sent it, and it's like, oh, what's, what's she doing? <laughs> so, yeah. Brilliant. So I may be the leader of the group, but others take part in, in leading it and offering support to people without me having to say, can you do this? Yeah. So when someone's been ill or needed help with shopping, people have stepped up to the plate. Brilliant. It's been brilliant. And I guess, you know, there, there's lots of different social groups and gatherings. People can be part of clubs and things like this. How does, you know, the fact that it's a faith-based group um, make a difference? What's, what's different to it okay. about it? Other groups may share a common interest or a common purpose, but it's not usually what I would refer to as a core value, which is about a way of being. Our faith in God is the foundation for our group. Through our faith in God, we're able to serve and encourage one another and speak God's truth to one another. That's what it's important to, in our group that we start each session having a catch-up, finding out what's been happening in our lives over the previous week, finding out about things to celebrate, whether someone's had a hard week at work, and somebody might require prayer there and then because life has been tough for them that day. Um, we, we meet together in order to develop our intimacy with God and, and with each other. But also as a small group, you know, I guess I've talked about things which have been hard, but we've also had loads of times where we've had fun, and it gives us great joy. It's a place where we can relax, be ourselves, laugh out loud in the midst of life's challenges, and eat. And this strengthens us. You know, for me, small group is the place to be, and if you're not in one, go over to the Connect area later. Amen. Thank you so much, Caroline. That's brilliant. Well done. Thank you. That's great. You know, as you hear... Um, Caroline Sharon, I don't know if, like me, you found yourself thinking, you know, I would love to be part of a group like that. 
Obviously, I'm not a single lady, so I can't go to that one. But, <laughs> but um, do you know what I mean? Like, a, couple, a few weeks ago at the Vision Talk, there was, um, there was a video um, where Andy and Lisa, a couple of members of the church, shared their experience of getting involved and plugging into a group. And, uh, and after the service, uh, my wife Abby was on, on the Connect team, and a couple of people came up to her um, separately, and, and they both said, I want to be in that group, like the one on the, te- on the, on the screen. I want to be in that group, because... I think there's something within us that knows intuitively that, that we have a need for connection, for relationship. You know, it might be that you're here today and you're exploring faith. And, and the reason that you made it along tonight is because you, know, you, you, you find yourself thinking, if there is a God, then I want to know him. I want to have a relationship with him. Or it might be that, you know, you've been coming here for a little while and, and the reason that you've made it along tonight, again, is, is similar. It's, it's that you kind of like recognize that, it's, that it does you good to be around these people, that they're a positive influence on you. You feel better leaving than, than when you did on the way in. Maybe for, for others of us, perhaps you've been coming here for a while, but you're going through a difficult time at the moment. And perhaps, you know, there was a part of you that wanted to just, you know, put your pyjamas on early and just have a night in tonight. But you made the effort to come out because, because you recognize and you know that it, that it does us good to be amongst one another. We recognize and understand that we have this need to be known. But a question that I want to ask is why? Why do we need relationship and, and, and connection and community. And, 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 and the answer that, that this book, the Bible, gives us is, is pretty simple, really. And it, and it makes sense to me, anyway. And, and that is that, that we need relationship and connection because we were made that way. In the story right at the start, the story of Genesis in the Bible describes the way that God created humanity. And in chapter 1, verse 26, we read that God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. If you were here for Debbie's talk um, a couple of weeks ago or last week, she mentioned, sorry, two weeks ago, she mentioned this passage and what it reveals to us about, about God's relational nature. If you notice, God doesn't say, he didn't say, let me make um, mankind in, in, in my image. He said, let us create man in our image. And, and, and many Bible scholars interpret those plural pronouns as the very first hint in the Bible of something that becomes evidently clear as we carry on through the Bible, and that is that God is, he is both an I and an us. He is, he is one God, but he is also God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, what Christians call the Trinity, three in one. And so, so it's kind of a mystery how that works, kind of impossible really to really get our head around it. But what it means is that we worship a God who, who doesn't just do relationships, but actually is relationship in his nature. And since, as we just read, we were created in his image, it, it therefore makes logical sense that, that we too would be relational creatures, and if we skip on just a few verses in Genesis, we see just that. After God has made, had made the first Adam, um, made the first human, Adam, he reflects in uh, chapter 2, verse 18. He says, Then the Lord said, It's not good that man should be alone. 
And this, this is pointing to a, you know, a universal truth about humanity. We're designed for community, for relationship to be known. And that, I think, is what explains the vitality and the health of, of the people in that town of Rosetta. That's what explains all those countless statistics that explain that loneliness is toxic to our health. It's the thing that explains why those people saw that video on Vision Sunday and were like, I need to be part of a community like that. And it, and it explains, I believe, why we chose tonight not to worship God in isolation in our own homes, but to come together, to be amongst one another, because we're designed to live the way God does, the way God exists, in relationship, with lives that are orient, orientated around others, as opposed to lives that are just orientated around self. But the tragedy of the Bible story is that <clears throat> humanity has time and time again rejected opportunities to live in that relational way. Starting out with, with Adam and Eve, instead of living lives that were solely orientated around relationship with God and one another, they chose to prioritize their own design, desires. They rebelled against God's will and they, and they ruptured their relationship with God and consequently, short after, with one another. Within moments of, of, of it taking and eating the forbidden fruit, they were bickering and they were blaming each other. And within generations, murder and jealousy and rage and anger had infected the human race. And, and, and that sort of kernel of narrative in that Genesis account really describes the story of, of the human heart. We, we, we long to experience authentic, vulnerable relationship, but, but, but we find that we keep on messing relationships up because we have this ongoing internal struggle within us between living lives that are orientated around God and one another and, and, and living lives that are orientated around self. And as a consequence of that, all of us have um, relationship issues, we have damaged relationships in our lives, we've experienced troubled relational issues, you know, if it, whether it's in our life or in the life of somebody very close to us, we all, to some degree, bear relational scars. And it might be that you're here tonight and, and that's the big thing that's going on in your life, a relationship that's broken, a person who you, you, know, you, you wish you could, could know them in the way that you once did, but things have changed that. The good news of Jesus and the thing that the Bible story tells us is that the God of relationship, he wants to restore those broken relationships. He doesn't, he doesn't give up on us, he never did. And in the person of Jesus, he made a way for us to be known again, known by God. Skipping on to that Ephesians verse in chapter two, verse 18, we read, for through him, that's Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're, you're fellow citizens with God's people. And also, you're members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So in him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
I love this passage um, because, you know, it's in that first verse, in verse 18, we see the Trinity working in unity together. Notice it says, through him, that's Jesus, we, that's all of us, have access to the Father by one spirit. They're all working to restore connection, to restore relationship between us and him. According to my um, study Bible, um, the letter from, from which this passage is taken, the letter of Ephesians, it was written by the um, early church pioneer and church planter, Paul. And so he wrote it to the churches that had, that had started up in Ephesus. And they reckon that this letter had two, essentially two main themes. The first theme was that Christ has reconciled all creation to himself and to God. And the second part second theme is that Christ has united all people from all nations to himself and to one another in his church. So this letter essentially is about how God has has reconciled us to him and also reconciled us to one another. And the way that he's reconciled us to one another is through building the church. And we see these two themes here in this verse. Remember how it says, through Christ we have access to the Father. But then it also goes on to talk about how we are part of his household and how we are being built together as a building in which he lives by his spirit. Now, um, if, you, if you look through the letter, you'll see these two themes cropping up time and time again. A few verses before, it says similar kind of stuff. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, reconciliation to God. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He has the power and the ability to break down those relational barriers that we form between one another. Now, it's probably worth noting, um, noting the sort of like the context here because the two groups that, that Paul is talking about here um, are the Jewish people and the, the non-Jewish people, what the Bible often describes as the Gentiles. And in, in that part of the world and at that time, um, there, were, there was quite a long-standing social and ethnic and cultural tension between these two people groups. And as the early church formed, they had these two people groups in the church, the, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so that was the principal source of relational tension in the early church. If you read through Acts, you read the New Testament, you'll read there's lots of passages that address you know, that gives some advice about how they can sort of handle this blending of these two cultural groups together because it wasn't, you know, totally frictionless. And so in this letter, Paul addresses a particular relational issue with God's universal solution. He explains that through the cross of Jesus, through his blood, we've, we've all got access, no matter where we're coming from, to a restored relationship with him but he's also found a way to be our collective peace, to break down those barriers of hostility through the church. Verse 21, remember, it says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. He uses this metaphor to say that we are the church and we are like a building not, you know, a physical building, like a church building with a pointy roof and with those funny knee cushions that they have in churches or, or a blue warehouse like this, but a, but a structure that's a spiritual building where the stones are living stones, where you and I are the bricks and the mortar. We're interconnected, we're interdependent. 
and we're being built together by the Holy Spirit, built on and in and around Christ, the cornerstone. And he's the one um, that's giving us the, the ability to bless one another with friendship. He's giving us the grace to love one another time and time again. Um, a friend of mine who um, started coming to this church uh, about a few months ago, um, and he was explaining how initially when he started coming to church, no experienced church before, he was quite skeptical about, you know, why all these people at church were so nice. And he was like, you know, there's some, they've got to have some kind of agenda. I don't quite trust how nice they are. Um, but then, you know, recently at small group, somebody was explaining how they'd done something for somebody else. I can't remember what it was. And he, was, and he just said, you know, they can't be faking it for this long. Like, nobody could pretend to be that nice for this long. And he's right, in a sense. We haven't got the grace to care, care and love for one another as long as we do. It's only through the Holy Spirit that he enables us to do this. And that's the source of, of this relational love. That's the source of all the good stuff that you heard in Caroline's sharing. And I'd love to just share with you another experience um, of somebody called Tom who started coming to Trent last autumn. And he recently tried a small group, our small group, and before then subsequently plugging into another group in the church. And he wrote to me a little while ago describing his journey. And um, I asked if it would be okay to share what he, what he, what he wrote with, with, with all of us. And he said that would be fine. Um, so I've edited it a little bit just to get it you know, um, within time. But these are all his own words. He said, I recently came to explore faith around the time that I was signed off work with depression. I've experienced many things on my journey, but I wanted to share my experience in finding a small group. So the impact of depression had hit me quite hard, and I'd been struggling to do anything and talk to anyone other than my wife. As I'd begun to slowly recover, we had begun to attend church, and I had made my first few attempts at prayer. My prayer consisted of one eye open and one eye closed, sat on the end of my bed, trying to follow the Why Jesus book suggested way to pray. On this occasion, I felt I had a message to say I should talk to people at church. By this time, I'd been off work for nearly three months and had previously been too anxious to talk to anyone that I wasn't familiar with. After the next Sunday morning service, I decided to go over to the Connect area. And there he bumped into um, a lead, one of the leaders of, of this group that he'd been looking at on our website and arranged to visit them. Later, he, he wrote about this experience. He said, during the small group, I was grateful for the group members and I felt weirdly safe enough to be completely open about my current circumstances. It felt as though it was unconditional acceptance from complete strangers I'd met minutes before. We discussed parts of the Bible that seemed applicable to me, and I felt it helped me move another step forward in my recovery. I also received my first prayer, and I didn't know what to do or where to look. During this period of a few weeks, um, my wife and another couple got together to consider how we could all try and attend a group that might work for us all, so that we could support one another with babysitting. And so together we identified a group to try, and he said, we, t we decided that the dads would go along first, which we did. I think we were both particularly anxious, but as we entered the house, the lady who was leading the group just happened to be Nick, who I originally spoke to at the Connect area. I couldn't believe it. The evening went on, and it was challenging, enlightening, and good fun. I came away absolutely buzzing, and I talked to my wife about it until the early hours of the morning. 
after the mums had attended the following week, they reported back a similar experience, and we all believe this is the group for us. Personally, I still can't get over how weird it has been to arrive at this point. It feels like parts of my life are beginning to fall into place like a perfect jigsaw. Yet six months ago, I was bed-bound with depression, experiencing the darkest period of my life. I still can't quite believe the change in my health, demeanor, attitude, sensations, and outlook. I'm so grateful to small groups and the church members that I've spoken to that have, that have unknowingly played a huge part in saving me from the worst and forming the new me. What an encouraging story. Now, as I read that, it strikes me that essentially there are two types of people in this room. There are people like Tom, people who are here exploring and wondering if this could be the place where they could experience community. And there are also people who were once a bit like Tom. I don't know which one you would define yourself as. But for the Toms in the room, I hope that um, that, that story and some of the things you've heard tonight will be enough to encourage you to take whatever your next step might be in finding a place to be known. It might be, um, like Heinz said, signing to come, up, come along to the newcomer's lunch next week. It might be trying a team. Um, uh, there's, there's so many different teams to get involved in, and it's a great place to, to connect with people. And in particular, as you probably guessed, I'd recommend it might be the next step to, take, to try a small group out. Um, as you've heard many times tonight, all you need to do is head over to the connect area, uh, and, and they'll explore how it all works, what nights they're on, and, and all of that sort of stuff. But for those of us who, who were once a Tom, the thing that I want to highlight to you this evening is that in all likelihood, you are sat within a few chairs of somebody who's here tonight, who's in Tom's shoes, someone who's, who's waiting for somebody to say hello to them, waiting for somebody to invite them to their small group, or to be part of their team. They might be down the front in a moment's time waiting for somebody to come along and say hi and pray for them. Or somebody to have a chat to over by the bar after the service. They may be simply waiting for somebody to acknowledge them and ask what their name is. It really struck me what Tom said in his um, story. He said, I'm so grateful to the church members that I've spoken to that have unknowingly played a huge part in saving me from the worst and forming the new me. The truth is, it's Jesus that forms the new us. Only Jesus has the power to, to give us new life. But the fantastic and amazing truth is that he chooses to invite us as his church, as his body, as his building, to participate in that endeavor of helping people become a new creation and find their place in the life of his church. And so, to those that feel like Tom, and those that once did, tonight I want to invite you not to simply be somebody who, who visits a church building each week, but to actually be part of it, to be a living stone as part of this building that God is building together. A place where you can be known and know others. Thank you.